0: Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who yearn to be showered in goodies, including free creams and lotions. I'm Hannah Leach, a multidisciplinary artist, audio producer, and man of the Lord.
1: And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and... My favorite color is light tan. <laughs> we are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: Today, we are talking about 2006's Nacho Libre.
2: When you are a man sometimes you wear stretchy pants It's for fun but to become a champion i would like that kind of respect he'll need strength speed and style and now <laughs> the orphans they need me he'll become their hero from the director of Napoleon Dynamite and the writer of School of Rock, Jack Black. Nacho Libre.
1: Hello, hello,
0: hello, listeners of the pod. Hello. Welcome back to our very special episode on Nacho Libre. I am teeming with excitement to talk about this movie and it's been a long time coming For many reasons.
1: (laughs) I feel like Nacho Libre has had a lot of misjudgments. People Mm -hmm. watching the marketing, thinking it was stupid. I'm not going to watch that. And then once they do watch it, maybe they're unsure, especially white people, unsure as to whether it is PC. Like, is this okay that Jack Black is doing a Mexican accent? It is actually all explained within the story. And... We looked into it, and we'll talk about it later, but there's actually a huge amount of Mexican people who really enjoy this movie because it has such a clear love for Mexican culture. And that's always what came through to me. Nothing felt belittling, Yeah, and we'll talk more about that later, but that's kind of why we waited to do yeah. this movie because it is one of our favorites from childhood. It was a van movie.
0: <laughs> I mean, it has Jack Black in it. You've probably been wondering why we haven't done this one, yeah. and now you know. So before we get into it, are you feeling
1: the Christmas spirit this year?: I don't think, because I've felt it since I was like pre-college. Probably. Really?: Yeah. Like, I mean, you never feel it the same way. Once you have to get gifts, it's like, well, this sucks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah. Once
1: it's happening. Once the gifts are being exchanged, it's good. Yeah, but the before is just like kind of dismal, especially when you don't live in the place where the presents are going to be open. So you need to like really premeditate all that. Like I have to like get everything mm-hmm. sent to Ohio and like make sure that it all works out. And Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So
0: you'll wrap things once you're there. You're not going to bring no, it No, I
1: can't. I'm going to the Dominican Republic on December 16th. Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah, it's going to be wild. So I'm not going to get back to Ohio until the 23rd. So I'm going to have. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to wrap them basically on Christmas Eve or the night before or something.
0: I am so jealous. It's going to be amazing. I'm excited for you. Thank
1: you. (laughs) Not really feeling the Christmas
0: spirit, but I did watch a Muppet. Christmas Carol for the first time last night, very randomly. And I love me a Muppet. A Muppet production. It's so funny. I yeah. love them.
1: I watched Deck the Halls last night. And then after that, to Grandmother's House We Go, which is a Mary-Kate and Ashley Christmas thing. Oh. But uh, it's their first feature film ever. So like pre-Dual Star and during Full House whoa yeah is it weird it was pretty I actually I put in my letterbox review that I genuinely think it's the best Olsen acting I've ever seen like this was the because they like it had not dawned on them yet that like their life was miz so like (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, I mean it's great but it's kind of miz also you could tell that they were really responsive to line reads and to like direct address like make this face when you say this line. They were super responsive to that. And so they were making some crazy Uh faces in this movie, which is really unusual for the Olsen twins because later on, it's just nooch. It's just, we're just going to say the lines and that's it. Oddly enough, it was like produced by Jeff Franklin who created Full House. So this was very much him trying to like give them their star vehicle, appearing as twins for the first time. Bob Saget- and the Laughlin were in the end, and it's just like it
0: was. It was <laughs> interesting. Was it enjoyable?
1: Um. Yeah. Oh, Rhea Perlman played like a criminal, so that was good. That's fantastic. That's perfect. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, I it wasn't. It wasn't bad.
0: Now on to a movie that makes me feel like it's childhood Christmas every day. It's time to talk about 2006's Nacho Libre. So we're going to get into the facts. Okay, Nacho Libre was released on June 16th, 2006 and was rated PG for some rough action and crude humor, including dialogue. The movie was directed by Jared Hess of Napoleon Dynamite fame and was written by Jared Hess, Jerusha Hess, and Mike White. Now, you may have heard of the name Mike White before. He wrote School of Rock, The Good Girl, Chuck and Buck. And of course, he is the showrunner and creator of The White Lotus, everyone's favorite prestige drama on HBO.
1: And he was on Survivor. So,
0: oh, yeah. Important for our reality TV
1: heads out there. IMDb synopsis. Nacho is a monastery cook who spends his day feeding orphans and being overlooked by the monastery. When Sister Encarnacion arrives at the monastery, Nacho realizes that the only way to win her affection and to save the children will be by competing as a luchador wrestler. That's not correct at all. There's a
0: lot of revisionist history in these synopses, as you will see.
1: Letterboxd, Nacho Libre is loosely based on the story of Fray Tormenta, a.k.a. Reverend Sergio Gutierrez Benitez, a real-life Mexican Catholic (laughs) priest who had a 23-year career as a masked luchador. He competed in order to support the orphanage he directed. Okay, that's like lore I didn't
0: know about, if that is true. I know, that's just straight up lore instead of like what the movie is about, but it is true.
1: Finally, Rotten Tomatoes' Ignacio, or Nacho to his friends, works as a cook in the Mexican monastery where he grew up. The monastery is home to a host of orphans whom Nacho cares for deeply, but there is not much money to feed them properly. Nacho decides to raise money for the children by moonlighting as a Lucha (laughs) Libre wrestler with his partner Escalito. But since the church forbids Lucha, Nacho must disguise his identity.
0: They like really want this movie to be about (laughs) Nacho being selfless, but it's not about him being selfless.
1: No, I think I actually think that it is. And we'll come back to that. I think it is. Okay. Um, Tagline. There's only one. And that is, he's not lean, he's not mean, he's nacho average hero.
0: (laughs) Very Nickelodeon movies of that one.
1: So full disclosure
0: slash warning, I, if you didn't know, I am white, I am Caucasian and I'm not great. At pronouncing. Oh, I can say the names. Spanish words. You want- Here's the thing. I've actually been getting a lot better because I'm doing Duolingo for Spanish. Let me just try. And if I embarrass myself, you can clock in. Okay. So the cast of Nacho Libre. There's a ton of kids in this movie, notably Moises Arias, which is very funny to Guess me. Guess what? Hunter what? saw him. you him on Raya?
1: <laughs> no, Hunter <laughs> saw him going into Equinox the other day. Wow. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Moises Arias. So he's just kind of there.
0: But of course, we have Jack Black playing Ignacio, a.k.a. Nacho Libre. I don't need to explain to you who Jack Black is. He is the star of the movie. Then we have Hector Jimenez, who is Escalito, a.k.a. Steven, which is funny to me. He's an epic movie, Wild Hogs and Gentleman Broncos.
1: Gentleman Broncos is another Jared Hess movie. Then we have Ana de la Rigu-
0: Riguera. Fuck. Ana de la Riguera, who. Riguera. Mm, I'm trying. Uh, <laughs> who is in Narcos, Army of the Dead, Goliath, Nacho Libre. And then she had her own show called Ana. And it was like, you know, when stars get like mostly autobiographical series, like that was what this series was. And it was about her. Okay, so on top of all that, though, what I thought was really interesting is that all, I think, pretty much all of the wrestlers that you see in this movie are real luchador wrestlers from Mexico. So, like Ramses, for example, is actually played by Cesar Gonzalez, whose wrestler name was Silver King. Interesting fact. He died in the ring in 2019 due to a heart attack that he just had in the middle of a match. But apparently it's like very honorable to die in the ring is what I gleaned from my research. So we had Silver King, but they also have Tigre Hispano, Terrochino, Caballero de la Muerta. Caballero. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm not even off. I'm not well, you even say, off. You said the L's. Caballero, not Caballero.
0: You can just sound good with the correcting. Uh, <laughs> Mucha Crema, El Pandita, Dalia Negra, and El Mimo. So all of these wrestlers are recognizable as far as I know. And it's just like very cool that they're in it in the first place.
1: The budget was $35 million. And opening made 28,309,599. That's really good for such an odd, you know, like it's a hard sell, theoretically. And ultimately, it's made 99,255,460. So
0: now going into critic and audience opinions. So the critic score for Nacho Libre on Rotten Tomatoes is a stunning 40%. And the critic consensus is, at times hilarious, but other times offensive. Director Jared Hess is unable to recapture the collective charisma of his Napoleon characters, instead relying on a one-joke concept that runs out of steam. Sure to entertain the adolescents, however. I don't agree. Metacritic has Napoleon evaluated as a 52 based on 36 critic reviews. The LA Times said, what's rare to see and what ultimately makes Nacho Libre so enjoyable is the story of an underdog who's allowed to remain a humble clown all the way to becoming a hero. So true. Variety said, Nacho Libre strikes a delicate balance of whimsy and absurdity that may surprise audiences primed to expect wall-to-wall slapstick. And then lastly, Entertainment Weekly. You can see what the film was going for, but the jokes just sit there. You chuckle a few times, mostly out of lame hope, but you never bust a gut, never really get what you came for.
1: That's a situation of wrong sense of humor. I
0: definitely agree. If you're not getting something out of this movie, like... It's a you problem.
1: It's just like Napoleon word. It's a litmus test.
0: Common Sense Media was oddly kind to this movie, which I did not expect. So they described the movie as an offbeat movie that has lots of potty humor and comic action. They only gave it three stars, though, and they said it was appropriate for ages 11 plus. This was their review. Nacho Libre is quirky and silly with some of the best writing and characters around. Given the offbeat nature of director Jared Hess, the star and the writer, this movie is destined to go down as a cult classic with lines you'll be quoting for years. Jack Black is surprisingly agile in the ring and Hector Jimenez is a scene stealer. (laughs) One of the topics that they suggest you talk about with your family is how is Mexican culture conveyed in this movie? Do you think it's an accurate representation of Mexican culture or is it even intended to be? We will come back to that later. As for audience score and Letterboxd rating, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 55% and the average star rating on Letterboxd is 3.2 stars. Some audience opinions, 4.5 stars. I will never apologize for giving this movie an almost perfect score. My only deduction is that I don't believe it ultimately contributed to the movie industry as a whole, but the other four and a half stars are for how much it contributed to every person who had the honor of watching it with friends and then quoting it for the rest of their lives. Two stars, that nun's face card never declines. 3.5 stars, my dad's favorite film. His laugh while watching it gives it all the stars. Extremely true to our lives as well. And lastly, 4.5 stars, I Am, I Am, which is the incredible theme of this movie. So when I was looking up things about the movie, I, of course, ended up listening to that song on YouTube like several times. But there were some really, really wholesome YouTube comments that I I just cultivated here.
1: Okay, somebody said, This song brings back memories of my late paternal grandparents and of my step-siblings. Truth is, after listening to this song yesterday, I called them all up to follow up on how they've been. Um, Someone said, this movie is like a classic in my family. We love this movie and it never fails to make me laugh. This song was composed and played by my father. I'm so proud of him. Thanks, Jorge (laughs) Garcia Castillo. (laughs) Okay. I am the gatekeeper to my own destiny and I will have my glory day in the hot sun. (laughs) That's a quote. A truly great hero's journey film. Inspiring music. God bless Nacho Libre.
0: Those comments just made me so happy because the song really does slap that hard. So, okay. Going into cultural context. Now, this is back to the conversation we were having at the very beginning about how the movie has been interpreted by different groups and, uh, you know, just the impact that it's made. One thing that really stood out to me, especially because we just rewatched Napoleon Dynamite over Thanksgiving with our parents, is that in Napoleon and obviously in Nacho Libre, there are Mexican characters. In Napoleon, it's Pedro and then like his two cousins who like kind of like joke characters, but, you know. They're like
1: caricatures,
0: yeah, there are caricatures.
1: Okay.
0: But it's like clearly Jared is thinking about Mexican people and Mexican culture. So, I googled Jared Hess Mexican representation and came across this academic article by David S. Dalton. The title of it is On parentheses, Dang, Quesadillas and Nachos as they say in Napoleon Dynamite. Mexican identity and a Mormon imaginary in the films of Jared Hess? Because Jared Hess is a Mormon or he was raised Mormon and went to Brigham Young.
1: Yeah, Jared Hess actually was a part of a docuseries like last year called Murder Among the Mormons. Ooh. He was like a co-director slash producer for it.
0: David Dalton, I was like, who is this guy who wrote the article? He is an associate professor of Spanish and the director of Latin American studies at, I think it was like the University of North Carolina at Charlotte or something but he went to Brigham Young also, which I thought was funny. So this was like in the abstract of it. As Hess affirms the humanity of the US's Southern neighbors, for example, he denounces xenophobic and anti-immigration points of view. At the same time, however, he signals his Mexican characters as irreconcilably different from, and perhaps simpler than, their North American counterparts. In this article, I argue that Hess's ambiguous representation of Mexican peoples and cultures reflects a type of benevolent racism that is common within white North American Mormon communities who paradoxically view people of Mexican descent as both others and as physical and spiritual heirs of the peoples in the Book of Mormon. Something to consider. To me, Mm -hmm. he's a white guy and a Mormon. So his argument is really more about like Mormon representation of Mexican people, but just something to think about.
1: I do kind of feel like, Even if he has all the love in his heart, it is still very cartoony. And he creates all his, like, pretty much all his characters are, like, cartoon characters. Um, Yeah. So I think it can kind of just get stuck in the crossfire of, of that. Yeah.
0: I will say that when I was researching for this episode there it's like known that Jared Hess was a really big fan of Lucha Libre when he was younger and yeah. it like led him to watch all of these like really campy Mexican films from the 60s and 70s so he has like some sort of framework for it but yeah i agree that it's in the crossfire yeah.
1: and i did see too that like that's something that a lot of mexicans loved about it was its throwback quality to the 60s and 70s like high high melodrama, luchador films that like they grew up with.
0: With this little article being cited, I went on Twitter and I just typed in Nacho Libre racist to see what people had to say. There were some tweets where people were like, is Nacho Libre racist? Have we just been liking it this whole time? And then there were like a couple ones that were like outright dismissing it that were tweeted by like Latinx individuals, but all of these were tweeted by Latinx individuals. And basically there's a recurring theme to all of them. So here's the first one. Not liking Nacho Libre feels kind of racist. If you ask me the next one, if you don't like Nacho Libre, you're racist. The next one, some white girl at my work. I've never seen Nacho Libre. Jose. Wow you're racist. (laughs) The next one. I've never met a Mexican person who doesn't like Nacho Libre. Is it problematic slash outright racist? Sure. But for some reason, we unanimously give it a pass. (laughs) The next one. This white woman assumed my dog's name was Nacho Libre. I mean... His name is Nacho, but she was being racist for sure. The next one, this girl at the bar said I looked like Nacho Libre. And so my friend called her racist and now she's buying all of us shots. It's hard to describe, but Jack Black in Nacho Libre is not racist. Like if it were made today, it would be. That's all. I just pulled a little bit of this article that Audrey sent me, which was an article that came out in the Chicago Tribune in August 2006, so two months after the movie released. And the title of the article is Nacho Libre, a Smackdown hit in Mexico. So there's a quote from this man, Marco Antonio Morales, who is a wrestling aficionado. It was extremely entertaining. The lucha libre portrayed in the movie was like it was in the old days, before the pro wrestling of the United States got so big and affected Mexico. And then another person was quoted saying, I don't know where they found some of those actors, but they were perfect. And then later in the article, they cited... A different interview with the Reverend Sergio Gutierrez Benitez, who is the person that Nacho Libre was inspired by. He said that Jack Black did a great job and he said, I was a fatty too. And like Jack, I had a lot of agility in the way I could jump around from here to there, which I am also looking forward to talking about that element of the movie, the body stuff. "'His figure is small and round, "'a figure much closer to us,' Ortega Torres said, "'but with a heart as big as his stomach.'" LOL. And then just one last little thing I thought was interesting. Mexican wrestling heroes almost invariably come from the working class, and unlike its glitzy and bombastic cousin to the North, Mexican pro wrestling is peopled not just by sculpted brutes, but often by regular people with regular bodies who just so happen to be leading double lives in wild costumes.'" Ultimately, this article and all the people cited in it are saying that the movie has so much love and respect for the sport that they are just into it. When did we first watch this movie? What do we remember? What did we remember about it before watching it
1: again? We definitely didn't see it in theaters. I think I would remember that. And so we just got the DVD at some point, but knowing that we were going to like it. I feel like we kind of knew. We knew. (laughs) who made it, and Jack Black, and blah, blah, blah. So it was just, like, easy. I think the thing that I remember the most
0: about watching this movie, like, the first or second time, probably both times, was how funny my parents found it to be. Because my parents, our parents, love a fart joke and a burp joke. And
1: I don't. For the record. Me neither. I kind of hate it.
0: And there's not even that much of it in this movie. There's like maybe two or three. There's really not a lot. And just like the way that they would lose it over the fart jokes, especially dad. And this movie just did it for him and thusly did it for us. I feel like the other things I would want to say, I would rather save for the second half. So Nacho Libre is on Paramount+. Plus very
1: accessible Amazon also
0: if you haven't seen this movie like I truly truly cannot recommend it enough go watch it if you haven't and even if you have go watch it again
1: and if you saw the commercials on Nickelodeon in like 2007 and thought that looks so stupid I'm not gonna watch that challenge yourself (laughs) expand your
0: horizons today
2: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome back, listeners of the pod. It is time for us to talk about Nacho Libre, one of our all-time faves. Where should we begin?
1: Well, we can begin at the beginning as (laughs) um, the film's opening credits are very Hessian. I'm going to create that term because they're stylistically the same as the opening credits in Napoleon Dynamite, which is that in Napoleon Dynamite, it's a bunch of different lunch cafeteria meals that have names on them in different ways. It's like notebooks, it's paper, it's all school related, um, but it's all done physically, which is really fun. And I've always wanted to do credits like mm-hmm. that. But at this point, it's kind of like you'd have to come up with a new thing on top of it because it's just, it would be a ripoff. Like you you have to like come up with a twist on it. I like all of the um, exposition that is, translated through the opening credits and, you know, basically you're watching like this little boy who's playing Jack Black as a child, putting on like his DIY luchador mask and like fighting around in the cemetery. And then you kind of understand through that, that he has a love for this and the dudes at the monastery are not about it and he's being punished. Yeah, So lots of good exposition. And it, it, yeah, it just communicates a lot without saying anything, which is always ideal. I really
0: like the credits being the way they are, Justin, that especially at the time, like the Hessian-ness of it would kind of loan or lend some sort of comfort tone to setter. an audience member. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tone setter. And I agree with that. While I enjoy the credits, the thing I really love is the theme, like the musical theme of this movie which is Religious Man, one of my favorite songs of all time, I've come to realize, is just like so perfect, like the little pan flute and like the really simple rhythm of it and the lyrics, like, ugh, I just love it. It makes me very happy from the very top of the movie. One of the things about Nacho Libre that kind of haunts me is that you can quote the entire movie, but if you're not saying it in the accent, you're like not really doing it right. It's super uncomfortable to hear anyone else do it, but maybe we could put a little montage of our favorite parts right here.
2: And beneath a man we find his nucleus. I ate some bugs, I ate some grass, I use my hand to wipe my tears, to Kiss your mouth, I break my vow.
0: No, 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 Jose. Unless you want to, then we break our vows together. Encarnación! Encarnación!
2: Listen, I know the wrestlers get all the fancy ladies, and the clothes, and They're very creams and lotions. But my life is good. Really good.
0: I will say, though, that one of my favorite lines, and I don't have to do an imitation for it to be funny, is when Ignacio is talking to Incarnacion, and he's like, the other brothers don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do.
2: And they don't think I know a buttload of crap about the gospel, but I do.
0: I love this movie so much. All of it. Like, every single scene, I'm just, like, smiling and having the time of my life.
1: There are some, like, themes in this movie that are very rarely explored for children. Like, for example, having a friend with a religious difference. Like, um, Uh Escalito believes in science. Um, Ignacio believes in God and you kind of watch them struggle with that difference in their approach to fighting. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, ultimately they kind of accept, they accept each other's different beliefs. Like they don't try to, they accept that they're different and and that's it.
0: This time around, I was really, really, really touched by just how shirtless Jack Black is in this movie like and especially like that little kid at the beginning when uh he's like running around what Audrey was describing and he's just like physically shameless fat child it just is really like wholesome to see Jack Black being this odd like body positivity champion of the early 2000s just Probably explains a lot about why we like him so Mm -hmm. much too. He just is himself so much. But there's never a moment in this movie, like even during the training montage, like Nacho's not trying to be skinny. Nacho's trying to be strong.
1: (laughs) How like, I just wonder how much he's really thought about it. Like how deep does this well run? Like, is it important to him to not change or or is he just not thinking Mm -hmm. about it that much? Whereas like with women, like Adele, for example, like she had a very stark transformation over time and she had to deal with women like being mad at her and men, I'm sure. People being mad, kind of mad at her that she went on this like intentional or unintentional weight loss journey. It just gets so dicey when it comes to like icons that have represented a body type that never gets good representation. Mm -hmm. So I like would love to know what he thinks about it, or does he think about it, or is it just not that important to him? I kind of hope it's not, but also he's in Hollywood, so of course it is. He yeah. knows where yeah. he stands. But like, the ho- we covered the holiday already. The holiday in conjunction with Shallow Hell is like- Yeah. I feel like Hollywood's attempt to try to place him in a way that they would never place a woman like they're they're just yeah. not going to throw a woman a bone mm-hmm. like that. And so he's gotten really lucky.
0: Yeah. I was thinking that same thing, like watching the moments where he's like standing in the ring and he's like wearing the cape and then like knocks it off. Like you just never see like well-rounded female comedic characters who's like, like the, like I feel like to a certain extent, Nacho being fat is like a little bit of the joke, but it's more just that he's Mm -hmm. so bad at fighting. Like that's the joke. And you just don't really see that with women characters. The
1: closest possible example that I can think of is Rebel Wilson. And she plays Mm -hmm. so differently. I never thought she was funny except in Bridesmaids. I think she's very funny in Bridesmaids. But like in Pitch Perfect, it uh-huh. never worked for me because I couldn't feel like the heart of the character. I'm like, what well, let's not. It's okay that her, I guess, that her character has decided to call herself Fat Amy. I guess if, that, if you're going to try to put that into her character's mouth so that you don't have to feel bad about it, um, that's like yeah. your prerogative, I guess, because she's okay with it. Like Rebel Wilson was okay with it. They do make you sign contracts, To ensure that you will not like change your appearance, gain or lose weight. She literally had to stay a certain size in order to play that role for like, what was was like six years-ish that that went on. Just really Mm -hmm. weird to think about. She also went on a weight loss journey and she still, she had like a starring role in a movie last year or two years ago. And I, it just gives me weird feelings. It's like if what you're known
0: for is being a fat woman, basically exclusively in her case, and then you get rid of that part of your like brand or whatever. It's like what is left but like a kind of mediocre actress.
1: It's not like she's like Aretha Franklin or something. Like, it's not like she's bringing a right. lot. Or Adele. Or Adele. It's not like she's bringing so much yeah. obvious and huge talent to the table that it doesn't even matter what she looks like. In her case, she made it about what she looks like. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yep. okay, like you would not have ever been in those movies if not for your weight. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, it is interesting. You're and Jack really, Black, really right. Similar, except Jack Black never did the transformation thing. He's always <sighs> just looks. Yeah. The and way now he has looks. like a giant yeah. beard. And
0: like, and the, I know. Yeah. He's so scraggly. But again, like he was just afforded so much space yeah. to like be himself so authentically. Can you think of anyone similar in the woman's sphere in comedy?
1: I feel like there's probably a few good examples, but nobody has that kind of Uh, unreplicable unreplicable? performance style. Like at the end of the day, you're Mm going to be able to replace most actors, period. But you can't replace the type of performance that you're going to get from Jack Black. Like there's... It's not even think of a woman who can yeah. do this. It's think of a person who can do it. Literally nobody can do what he does <laughs> yeah. because he puts his, yeah. the, the layer of Jack Black, you cannot look past. This is not a person who gets lost in a role. This is not someone <laughs> who does transformations and you kind of don't even know who you're looking at. Like it's no. not an Emma Thompson. It's not a, none of that. Um, <laughs> Which is what's great about him. And something that I noticed when I was watching is like, as we have maybe talked about before when we covered Napoleon with Tina, we probably did talk about how Jared would give line reads. I'm pretty sure we did talk about that. Yeah. And you can tell that he's doing it here too. But the fact that You've got the jack black layer on top of the fact that Jared is giving line reads makes it so over the top yeah. that sometimes I could understand someone <laughs> normally, I feel like that's something that would even piss me off, but because it is so yeah, lovable, I can't like but that scene where like uh Encarnacion touches his knee and he's making like the craziest <laughs> face um that was a moment that really felt like. I can feel the layers of direction here. It's like Jared, what Jared has wants, yes. but with a Jack Black magnification that is like so... Versus yeah. like with John Heater where <laughs> Napoleon's entire thing is making like no facial expression. So it all comes through in the line yeah. read without the, having this huge face. So it, it, it really takes it to another level.
0: Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that scene specifically because in that scene, I had the same moment where I was like, yeah. <laughs> this is a lot. Like, for a scene that's supposed to be, like, intimate and, like, in one of their quarters, he's, like, on, like, nine out of ten. And I'm like, geez, like, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it's very entertaining, but it, that part is a lot, yes. specifically. Also, going back to the the body thing. I found it to be interesting, and here's the thing, I'm trying to stay away from, like, condemning things in general, not even because of the feedback, but because, I feel like there's just, like, more nuance to these things, but, like, so Nacho is fat, and it's, like, one of his lovable traits, and he's very much a human while being fat. But then there's Mm -hmm. that whole really weird side plot with, like, the fat woman. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And... Yeah, it throws me. It's so weird. There's certain parts of the movie where I don't really need... I kind of don't need them. Like, or they're just, like, not a highlight for me, so I kind of just forget that they're there, and that's one of them.
0: the, The plot, for those who don't remember, is that when Escalito and... Nacho are at the pro wrestling party. For some reason, Escalito ends up upstairs. He ends up getting cornered by this honestly very beautiful fat woman. You know, it's the classic thing where it's like fat woman, skinny guy. Like the woman is thirsting after him. And they treat her like such like a predator slash monster.
1: Yeah. And like, is she acting crazy? Yes. I mean, the performance is great. Like, this woman really did a great job um, And I'm sure it's exactly what was being asked for <laughs> by Jared. Yeah. But it, the question is why, I guess.
2: Um, yeah. Is it yeah. just,
1: it would not, if she were like a thin woman, that joke would not play the way that I feel it is being directed to play. Like, yeah. Because it's the contrast between basically bodies because it's not yeah. like you're hearing conversations, like a lot of conversations or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just a visual gag, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. And I feel like it just could have been swapped for something else.
0: Or cut. It also kind of reminded me a bit of um, La Fonda in Napoleon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which,
0: like, for those who don't remember, uh, Kip has an internet girlfriend, and she comes to visit, and she's, like, a very tall, very statuesque Black woman. And
1: fashionable. They, yeah,
0: like way chicer than Kip, but like there is a lot played into their difference. And that's kind of mm. what makes them like an odd couple.
1: Visually, there's a lot played into yeah. their difference. They don't actually talk about it though. So it's like asking, it's like an interesting inquiry for the audience because we're being asked to accept this couple even though their contrast with LaFonda and Kip is so large. And it kind of, you know, they accept each other immediately. There is no dialogue or conversation about racial differences. It's just like, immediately, these two are soulmates and they are going to blend their lives. <laughs> yeah. And so for the audience, you're, you're just being asked to accept that in a way that is not true in the world. Like yeah. at all. Like it just wouldn't really play play out like that. But it's sweet to watch. It's just yeah. kind of really not grounded, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. Which is <laughs> which is fine. I just yeah. thought that there's just like an interesting like hierarchy of like minority identities in Jared Hess's stuff like mm-hmm. and whether like obviously being fat doesn't necessarily make you a minority but like anything that verges from like the straight white guy norm. Uncon-
1: slight unconventionality. Yeah. It's always an unconventional partner for the person that you know in the movie. Yeah. Like for Escalito, for Nacho, and for Napoleon and Pedro mm-hmm. it's always like Pedro tries to go to the dance with Summer that's yeah not gonna work because she's too pretty for you you know like there's yeah. always except for I guess um Deb she would yeah. be like the one exception but yeah it's always like who who can we bring in that would be like the most like, like conventional choice yeah, yeah the most humbling person for this character. Yeah.
0: I will say that I wrote down in my notes, I'm happy for weird dudes in the work of Jared
1: Hess. Like. Yeah.
0: I There's something about the characters where you just like, they're so fun and you genuinely do want the best for these weirdos. Yeah. I want to go back to what we started talking about in the first half, which was, I said that. Selfish. Yeah, I said that he's not thoroughly selfless and you were saying maybe the opposite.
1: Everyone's telling him his whole life growing up that what he loves is not okay, it is sinful. And that is both being a luchador and wrestling. And it's also like being into girls. Like basically they're like, you can't be with anyone because you're Mm -hmm. at a monastery and -hmm. you can't like have these feelings. So he's very repressed. Everything Mm -hmm. that he wants is not within reach. You know, he finds, like, little avenues to still feed into those passions, I guess. And, and because he's being repressed so much, it has to become a secret that he mm-hmm. um, is wrestling on the side, but he's wrestling to raise... I mean, <laughs> it's not like I'm... It's difficult because it's both, right? It's I need this for myself, but it's also I care about the children and I want them to have better food. And he's genuine about that. And and so what when Incarnacion tells him, like, it's sinful to fight for fight for fighting's sake, but if you fight for something, then that is noble, which I think that can get very messy if you actually like look at it in a nuanced sense because I think a lot of men would say they are fighting for something noble because they think they are and they actually aren't. Mm -hmm. Like there's definitely a lot of that. But in the simplified version in Nacho Libre, he is fighting for something noble and I don't think it should be shameful. Him going against the norms of his life to feed his passion is not selfish. Just because other people think it's wrong doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that it's selfish.
0: So he does buy the ingredients. He makes the salads. But he also like buys fancy clothes and stuff. Like it's not like he's yeah, giving 100% it's not solely that.
1: But I feel like that shouldn't be shamed. I'm not shaming right? him.
0: I'm not for someone shaming who never had him.
1: anything. I'm just saying that he is not a saint. That's all I'm saying. No. Yeah, no. Definitely not a saint, but he's also I think what he does with the money is the best best case scenario. Like, I mean, you should, you should buy a bit. You He should buy things for himself. He's never had money. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. Some Mexican Catholics, I don't know how they would feel about yeah. the portrayal of religion. But I mean, those rules are true. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not like those rules don't exist. If, if we learned anything from the sound of music, <laughs> not everybody's cut out to be a nun, it's You're just right. It's not a thing. You're right. It all comes back to that. And I actually always found that like conflict to be really interesting. The conflict of I'm a failure if I go fall in love and have a family because I like <laughs> am supposed to be a nun. It's just so limiting. Like yeah. I, I just feel like they should. Like you should. You can be devoted to God and also... Right. Um, have a family. Like, yeah, this is so dark. I just thought <laughs>
0: like, of something so it stupid. has weird
1: implications. Like, what do nuns think about non-nuns? Like, it kind of reminds me of like the Amish. I where, was like, say whenever you same see thing. the thing whenever you see the Amish, you're like, do they think that I'm like trash? <laughs> nuns, monks, and
0: religious. Priests often take vows of poverty, which means they do not amass personal wealth. Money is handled communally. Essentially, being a nun or a monk is the ultimate unpaid internship. (laughs) But for God.
1: It's like, I feel like a lot of kids probably think they're not real. I kind of think I thought they weren't real for a long time. Yeah, they kind of seem like they
0: could be invented for the sound of music.
1: Or, like, they did exist and they no longer do. Yeah. Like, I I feel like I thought it was more, like, historical. I know. It seems like it would be. Let me see how
0: many, I want to see how many nuns are in America. On July 27th, 2022, ABC News published, America's nun population in steep decline. <laughs> No, that checks out. Wow. Fewer (laughs) than 42,000 nuns in America, which is a 76% decline over 50 years. Okay. I just want to talk about how genuinely touching the final fight in Nacho Libre is. When he lifts Ramsey's boot off of his leg, when he sees... Incarnacion and Chancho standing there and like the good theme kicks in. And then when he does the ridiculously obviously rigged like swan dive out of the ring and into the crowd, that like the genuineness of that really struck me as especially heartwarming this time around. I mean, it's funny. Like, the dive is really funny, but you also buy into it because it's Nacho Libre. And the music is so good that you kind of can't help but get into it. And then really, like, when he ends up winning the fight and he's, like, really excited and runs back into the ring, his reaction actually reminded me a lot of when they like get called back on stage at the Battle of the Bands and School of Rock. And he's like mm-hmm. so genuinely surprised and excited. I just love to see Jack Black in such a pure state of exhilaration in a movie.
1: Yeah. I always feel like the end the end comes so fast and you it really does. It kind of mm-hmm. ends before you even realize it's over. Yeah. Um, which is like good I, in a sense, like leave them wanting more, don't drag it out. But I do kind of want like one more. I feel like maybe like a three, like a either a montage or yeah. like one more scene to wrap up a few things yeah. before just heading out to the bus thing. Like it ends on a scene of every all the kids and Nacho and Escalito and Encarnacion in the school bus that they've decorated, and they all run out, and it's a very fun ending. It's cute. But I think I could use one more wrap-up
0: yeah, moment. Yeah,
1: I can see that. Uh, how should we wrap her up? So I wanted to say that I can understand why someone might be bothered by Hess films because they're kind of bare-bones style pieces. And if that's not your thing, you're going to hate it. Like, mm-hmm. you're not going to... If you don't like over-the-top performances, if you don't like high-style It's definitely not low substance at all. There's actually a lot of great themes, but if you just like aren't with it, then I can understand that opinion. I'm sure if you're hearing this by now, you definitely like Nacho Libre. (laughs) Uh, But there's so much like love and attention to detail. And it is actually, we really should have mentioned how well shot it is. Yeah. The director of photography guess what? He shot White Lotus season two. So mm. big connection there. Yeah. He has a had a really like serious career. When do you ever see a comedy shot in this way? You really, you basically never. And it's so, yeah. the colors are so nice. It's clearly on film and it has like, it's just stunning. Like you could just pause the movie at almost any point and there would be a lot to take in. It looks genuinely dusty and old. And that is something that we talk about missing a lot in production design, like missing authenticity. Everything's made in post, blah, blah, blah. There's just like a lot of good detail and love in every stitch in this movie. So even if it's not your taste, like comedically, there's still a lot to appreciate. And just a lot of
0: cultural context and information on Lucha Libre, which is cool too.
1: They kind of, someone mentioned that, that you quoted earlier, how like America has, with WWE has kind of overshadowed like a Mexican luchador culture, I would think. I don't know a lot about it, but anytime I have seen WWE, it feels like you're on another planet. Like I have genuinely no (laughs) clue what is going on. And I do think it's dumb. I'm not going to lie. I do think it's dumb, but it also is very campy. So yeah. there's something to be appreciated there. Yes. I just don't want people to get hurt. I'm like just not about physical violence in any sense, even if it's um for entertainment or, you know, like I don't really, I don't really ever think it's noble. Sorry. <laughs> not even if you're fighting for the children. Like, me personally, no, but within the context of the film, yes. Like, I would
0: love to see you beat the shit out of someone.
1: I would love to see you beat the shit out of someone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe we should team up and beat the shit out of
1: <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I actually don't think I could do it. Unless I was... It would have to be such a specific situation. Like, I mean, I've contemplated this many times. I have a very overactive crime imagination, Yes. So like, I've thought about that so much, especially living in New York, where like you watch people pass you, and like my my overactive imagination will be like, this person, you know, like it's big, kind of anxiety. But sometimes people sort of seem like they might say something or do something. Yeah. So trust and believe. I have went down that path mentally. Like,
0: yeah. What would I do? I don't know. I feel like running is probably actually the best. Method scream and run. Scream and run? <laughs> it de- well, it's like make a scene. Like you're supposed to like make a scene. Yeah.
1: And then get yeah. out. I definitely, yeah, I definitely am not trying to like engage in combat. Like I feel like this just going to end poorly. <laughs> I wouldn't fight like a random man on the street
0: that I was like scared of. I'm saying.
1: If it was a fight.
0: Like if period. it was like a fight, like I was in a bar and someone like oh not not like a not like
1: in the ring, but well, like that too life. would be cool.
0: <laughs> if I had a really good outfit, maybe I would beat someone's
1: ass. It could, it would be fun to like WWE style, learn some fight choreo that I can do. So anyway,
0: we love Nacho Libre on this podcast.
1: I have one thing to say before we do the credits. And that is that From the Flesh is publicly mm. out on YouTube now. And um, that is the short film that I produced and that Hunter wrote and directed. We're like at, we're at like 110K views, which is great. So give it a watch and please rate it highly on Letterboxd because people are super, and I'm the same way. Like if I ever rate a short film on Letterbox, I'm like super like flippant with those reviews because <laughs> usually it's hard to like, it's hard to gauge how good a short film is sometimes. Yeah. And so give it five just to like help us out. Yeah. It's not Wait, bad. When you it's say flippant.
0: It's, what do you mean?
1: You know, to like go for comedy or. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. To be like two stars when really it's like you didn't it's not that serious, basically. Yeah. So yeah. like when strangers rate a short film, I find that the range is so huge because half the people are going for comedy and then half the people are giving it like really high because they know someone in it or they love Kennedy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it's like actually really difficult
0: yeah, to gauge yeah, yeah.
1: an opinion. Yes. But obviously the higher, the better. So yeah. You go. So <laughs> give it five stars. And as always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema, and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audrey A. Leach on everything.
0: And you can follow me, Hannah, at RealJudyGarland on Instagram and at Lana Von Trap on Twitter. And if you haven't joined our Discord server yet, please do so by clicking the link in our episode description.
1: You can check out our merch at twopinkproductions.com slash shop. We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, and more. And if you love Sleepover Cinema, if you love Nacho Libre, if you are dazzled
0: by my levels of positivity and radiance on the podcast, Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, five stars full of love.
1: Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Eloia. Ramsey's is the
2: one he puts the people on fire. Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.
0: This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.